we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, just for a quick review of where we are, Haman tricked King Ahasuerus to pass an edict to kill all the Jews at a time determined by the casting of pure or lots, right? That was Esther chapter 3. And then uh, at the beginning of, of Esther chapter 4, Mordecai and the Jews learned of their pending annihilation and they went into mourning. They were grieving. Mordecai was wailing bitterly at the gate and wearing sackcloth. And says, Esther, she does what anyone in her position would do and sends him fresh clothes, right? <laughs> but Mordecai lets her know what's happening and what she should do. And, and then she responds with, oh, that makes perfect sense. Let's do that. No, not quite, right? She replies back and she says, you realize what you're asking of me, right? The king has not asked to see me for 30 days, and you know she's been counting. She was laying out all the reasons why she was not so sure about Mordecai's plan. And then last week we talked about Mordecai's exhortation to Esther that God was going to save his people, and though many would die in the process, but he acknowledged that maybe everything she had been through since that opening beauty contest was part of God's plan to use her to save his people. And so now she's heard that, we've thought on it for a week, and we see how Esther responds to Mordecai. And so we're just gonna jump right in with um, Esther chapter four, verses 15 through 17. So we see Esther, who was initially reluctant, is now filled with resolve. And we see Mordecai, who had been giving the commands this whole time, is now receiving them. And so what was it that Esther asked of Mordecai? To fast. To fast with whom? All the Jews in Susa. And for how long? Three days three days, night and day, and it was no food or drink, right? And what was Esther going to do? She and her young women were going to do the same thing. They were going to fast along with all the Jews of Susa. And then what was she going to do after those three days? She was going to go to the king, and then she says, if I perish, I perish. Now, I'm going to start at the end, <laughs> and then we're going to work back. When she says, if I pair, it, it's against the law, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish, right? This is what she says. Is that her giving up? Is that her thinking that 
God's not going to protect her and she's gonna die? No. no. And we can't look at it that way, but this is her, and this is her saying that, that she is going to sub submit to the will of God, submit to whatever it is, because this is God's will, and she is going to do it no matter the cost. And she knows that that's the cost, that the worst that can happen is that she's going to perish. And so she had accepted her potential fate, whatever that may have been. But she wanted to go in with every possible preparation that she could. And so we see several ironies here. Esther is calling for a fast, but what have we repeatedly seen the king do throughout the first three chapters of this book? Feasting. And this fast doesn't mark the middle of the book, but it marks the middle of the feasts. So you're going to have feasts before and feasts after and a fast right smack dab in the middle of those. Um, we, we finally see God's chosen and set apart people setting themselves apart. They are finally doing something to honor God. Because it says Mordecai went and did it. He went and told all the Jews and they all were going to do it. And so seems pretty straightforward. I mean, that's, that's literally our passage. She has accepted her fate and she's going to do it. But I want to look at what it is that she wants to do to prepare and what it is that she is asking others to do for her in order to prepare. And so we're going to talk about fasting. Fasting is not a popular topic. Um, although Pastor Matt did preach on it when he was doing the discipleship journey, and it was a very good sermon, and you can go back and listen to that. It is on the podcast. It is on the website. Um, the video is on the website as well. And so that is available to you. Um, my definitive resource on fasting is this book, although the, it now has a new edition out with a prettier cover. But this, was, this is the one that I have, have read called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Um, he was a professor at the Southern Seminary where my husband went. Um, just great man, but a great author too. Um, it, and, and this book was actually referenced in the two other commentaries that I read on it so other people think of it as kind of a definitive resource as well but um, and I can go on and on about this book it's good for more than just fasting um, but here's what I am gonna say I was introduced to this book more than 20 years ago and it, it truly was life-changing for me I had grown up in church but I never learned about what exactly I should be doing as a Christian and so this was He's got chapters on scripture reading, on journaling, on evangelism, on prayer, 
on um, silence and solitude. Just all these different disciplines that as Christians we can and should be following at different points in our walk. And so just a really good resource if you need that type of, um, if you have those types of questions. Um, also a really good one to go through, not initially with a new Christian, but if you are looking for something in order to help disciple someone else, this is a good one to do that with. Um, but one of the chapters in this book is about fasting, and it truly gives an overview of fasting that is both challenging to you, but completely understandable. So a lot of what you're going to hear is, is based on what Donald Whitney wrote in this book. Um, first thing that he says about fasting, though, is that it is one of the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. One of the most feared and misunderstood. Why do you think people, not necessarily you, we're not going to judge anyone by their answers, but why do you think people, in general, fear fasting? right it's uncomfortable <laughs> you're gonna put yourself through some to suffer in some way right what else anything else i just don't understand it don't understand it yeah my kids aren't allowed to say that they don't like something that we're eating they are allowed to say i am too afraid to try it if they say they don't like something and they've never tried it, they can't get up from the table until they've eaten it. But if they are able to say, I am too afraid to try it, to admit that fear, then that's okay. We will accept that and they are allowed to move on. We haven't had that problem very often recently because they're 16, 14, and 10, but it worked really well when they were littler. Um, some people look at fasting and they fear that it would make them a fanatic, right? That it would make them, oh, that's so extreme. I, I'm, not, I'm not there. I'm not, an, I'm not an extremist Christian, right? Um, so that's another, another thing that, that people fear is, is becoming that fanatic. But fasting is not something that's talked about a lot these days because we live in a gluttonous, self-indulgent culture. We like comfort. We like control. And let's face it, based on the food on that table, we like to eat, right? So it's just not something that we talk about a lot with our friends or family. Yet scripture mentions fasting 77 times. 77 times that it mentions fasting, it mentions baptism 75 times. We talk about baptism a whole lot more than we talk about fasting, but the Bible talks about fasting more than baptism. And so as, as we think about the importance that the Bible holds for, for fasting, we need to think about the importance that it should have in our life. 
And so we're going to dig into what it really means. And so what does it mean to fast? To withhold something. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, taking that time and focusing on the Lord. It, um, Donald Whitney's definition is it's a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food, though he does talk about other things as well, but um, he focuses on food. A Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And Richard Foster he says that fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. The key to fasting is the spiritual purpose. It's not a crash diet. You know, you hear about people who need to, you know, oh, the the wedding's coming up and I need to fit into this dress and so I'm going to starve myself for the next three days to get there. That's not fasting, right? It's not a duty that we are to perform. It is a way for us to enrich our enjoyment of Jesus. It is a way for us to express a desire for God. Now, Lent is coming up. Lent is a popular time when you're going to hear about fasting. Um, it's the 40 days before Easter, not counting Sundays. So this year it starts, I believe it's the 22nd, but that whole, um, that whole weekend before that is like a blur to me because I'm doing a marching band, chaperoning a marching band trip. So I think it's the 22nd, but whatever that Wednesday is is when Lent will start this year. Um, I mean, fasting is now used, I mean, when, right, well, but even when you need to have blood work done, your doctor's going to tell you you're going to have fasting blood work. So it is a word that people are going to, to use outside of Christian culture. I didn't look that up, but... Well, and what's, what's interesting is you're saying they're finding, they're finding physical benefits of fasting. Like, well, God has told us to do this for years, and now they're like, oh, this is actually healthy for me. Yeah, it is interesting how, how God does that sometimes, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'd have to, I'd have to do some research. So, but, but for Lent, um, you, when I lived in Louisville, it was a bigger Catholic population. There's not as big of a Catholic population in Elizabethtown, but when I lived in Louisville, it was a big deal for um, Catholics through Lent because you, would, you could only eat fish on Fridays, and so that's when they would have all the fish fries. All over, so if you've ever lived somewhere that has a higher Catholic population, um, we would drive by and just see it as a big excuse for a party more than focusing on 
why they are eating the fish. But, you know, um, for some people, I, I mean, I did have some Catholic friends that it was, it was very definitely a, a God-focused fast. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it for everybody. It's just hard to, hard to drive by these things and see, like, you really fasting? Because it just looks crazy. But anyway, um, used to be a big thing to give up social media for Lent that you were going to go those 40 days without being on Facebook or Instagram or, or Snapchat or whatever they all are now. Um, but it, that, that period of Lent is a time that many people use to set their hearts on Jesus' death and resurrection in preparation for Easter. Now, the Bible only refers to fasting from food. When it refers to fasting, it only directly refers to fasting from food. I am a person that cannot easily fast from food. Medically, it messes with my blood sugar and takes a couple of days to readjust. I can't do it um, or can't easily do it. So this was uh, made for quite a challenge at one point when I was given an assignment for a class that I was, I was taking with the Seminary Wives Institute. And they, um, they said at some point over the, the course of the class, so the six weeks that we were in the class, we were supposed to do a fast. And so thankfully I had a doctor's appointment early in that period of, of six weeks. So I talked to my doctor, he recommended, he was a Christian man, great Christian man. And um, he determined, he, he helped me figure out what kind of a protein shake I could drink that would still make me hungry, but not make me have the blood sugar issues. And so um, I could meet the goal of the assignment. Uh, in doing that. So there are ways that you can make fasting from food work if you're any of those, any, any situation, pregnant, don't fast. <laughs> you know? um, diabetics, don't fast. Do, do what from food. Um, but I've later learned, you know, I did what I did that and it was really good. I, I really learned a lot from that experience. But since then, I have learned that I actually do better. It's far more meaningful, me, meaningful for me to give up something in particular for a longer period of time rather than a meal or, or meals for a day or two. Um, because I would find myself so anxious that that anxiety of what's going to happen, am I going to pass out, am I going to just not be able to function for three days, was too much for me. Um, and so, so what are some things other than food that you can fast from? There are no wrong answers. Just trying to come up with some ideas. TV. A particular type of food. I did potatoes one year. For Lent, it also felt, so my older sister is a spiritual seeker. And so one year she was fasting for Ramadan and it fell at the same time as Lent. And so I used that as an opportunity that every time that, so I gave up potatoes. And every time, so that was hash browns and baked potatoes and french fries and chips and all those things, like none of them. And so for those 
those 40 days plus Sundays, because I decided not to do it on Sundays, uh, not to have the break on Sundays like some people do, for those 40 plus days that every time that I really wanted something potato and couldn't have it, that I would pray for my sister to find Jesus. Because she was seeking something spiritual during that period of Ramadan with the fasting. I was going to fast alongside her, but I was going to pray for her to find Jesus in that time. I gave up potatoes. I mean, you don't think about how often you eat potatoes until you give up potatoes, let me just tell you. Um, but that was one of the most meaningful ones for me was giving up a particular food because I had to think about it for every single meal that I was eating. Yeah, what else? Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who for Lent, she does not buy groceries. She uses it. Now, she'll buy milk and, and produce, but she won't buy other groceries. And she uses it as a time to prepare her heart for, um, for the crucifixion and resurrection for Easter, but she also uses it as a time because it's a physical clearing out of her cabinets and her refrigerator and her freezer that it gives her that picture of, of the rebirth because that's what she's doing in her kitchen. It's really, it, it's really neat. It's not something I could do. I don't have the like discipline to do that, but um, it works for her and it's really fun to watch. Like she'll, when she gets to the closer and closer to Easter, some of the meals she has to put together are quite entertaining. Um, but she, yeah, it's really good. So I argue that it does not have to be food though food is definitely a big one to do. And so as, as we look at scripture, we have to remember that it is referring to food directly, but the principles apply to anything as we're doing this. So now we know what fasting is, we're gonna look at whether or not we should fast. So Matthew 6, 16 through 18, and if you have your Bible, Flip to Matthew 6 because I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about Matthew 6. I am going to ask you to take your pen or pencil, if you're comfortable, and either underline or circle or highlight or something the phrase, when you fast. Right? This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, when you fast. Not if you fast. Right. And he says it twice. He doesn't say, if you fast. He doesn't say just fasting shouldn't look gloomy. He says, when you fast. 
right? Jesus is saying Christians will fast. But as you're looking at Matthew 6, what are the other topics that are covered in Matthew 6 in this part of the Sermon on the Mount? Praying and the Lord's Prayer. He gives directions on how you should pray. What else? Giving to the needy. Was that what you were saying? Sorry, airplane coming over at the same time makes it a challenge to hear. And then he talks about not being anxious, right? That, that idea of, um, again, setting yourself apart, not being worried about these things. So Jesus, by putting it all together with giving, with prayer, with, with not worrying, with laying up your treasures in heaven and serving others, God is putting fasting, or Jesus is putting fasting. He's saying it's as basic to Christianity as asking God for, for something, as praying to God and as giving to others. And yet we don't talk about it, right? But now we know we should fast. We're told we're going to fast. And so let's look at how we should fast. So in the Bible, there are four different types of fasts. I'm not sure that I gave out all four of these verses now that I look at them, but we'll see. So Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 2. This is what this was Jesus and the um, his forty day fast before he's tempted by the devil, right? What it this is what's known as a normal fast, not because of the length of time, because of the fact that he had no food, but he still drank water. It says he didn't eat for those forty days. So a normal fast is food, no food but still having water. Um, Daniel chapter 1, verse 12. Did I give that one to somebody? So this is a partial fast. This was when Daniel and his friends were taken by the Babylonians, and they wanted to give them all these rich foods that they're... Jewish dietary laws said you can't eat those. And so they said instead of, instead of preparing us separate meats and separate breads and separate of all those things, just give us vegetables and water and let's see what happens. And so that was a partial fast where you're only eating certain foods. I'm sorry, Daniel 1, 12. And then Acts chapter 9, verse 9. So Saul just met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he did not eat or drink for three days. And that's called an absolute fast. An absolute fast is no food or water.
it can be dangerous, yes. Yes. We're going to get to the supernatural aspect in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then did I give some, but this is the one I'm not sure I wrote down. First Kings 19 verse 8. Did I give that one out? Okay, that's what I was afraid of. Elizabeth, can you find that one for me? This is Elijah. He's fleeing from the evil queen Jezebel, and he thought he was going to die. And an angel appeared to him and gave him food and water. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And so this is an example of a supernatural fast. Because that food given from the angel sustained him for the next 40 days. Right. Some of these, the only way it is doable or repeatable is with God's supernatural intervention. I do not recommend doing like Saul did with the three-day absolute fast. Doing a sunrise to sunset absolute fast, that's manageable. Three days is, is quite extensive. Um, and definitely don't do that for your first time to try fasting. Um, but that's a supernatural fast where it is God has intervened. That's Jesus with the 40 days in the wilderness. That's that there are several of those throughout, um, throughout scripture um, that are supernatural where it is an extensive period of time or an extensive uh, uh, giving up of everything for, for a longer period than would normally be possible. And so, so that's what we have. We have that normal fast with no food. We have the partial fast where you're, you're only eating certain foods, the absolute fast, which is no food or water, and then that supernatural fast where it's um, God intervening to make that work. Um, I'm going to say supernatural fasts are not going to be that common these days. There are also different ways to fast in that it can be private. Like we looked at in Matthew 6, where nobody's supposed to know that you're fasting. So it can be private. It can be congregational when a church or a group is fasting. Um, this is when um, we were praying for the purchase of the Mill Road property. And, and Pastor Matt said, if you feel led, we, we wanted everybody to pray on, a, on that particular day. But if you feel led, fast also. And he was calling for a congregational fast in doing that. And then finally, there's a national fast where an entire nation or uh, in our case in Esther, where the, the whole city, which was bigger than just a city, um, is fasting. So, so like here in, in Esther that we read or in Jonah chapter 3, when the entire city of Nineveh is called to, to a fast, that would be what's considered a, a national fast, where it's outside of just a small body of people. It is a, a large population. And so most 
of your fasts today would be a private normal fast. That would be what most of us would practice today. Um, and so if we keep, keep going through our, our, our questions, right, we have to think about when. When are we supposed to fast? In the Old Testament, they have a scheduled fast that's called for annually with the Day of Atonement. Um, that is called for under the Old Covenant. But for some people, every year they will fast through Lent in some way, shape, or form. Um, so those are, those are uh, annual fasts or regular fasts. There are also occasional fasts. This is the kind you would normally be participating in, which would be for special occasions or a particular need that arises. Um, and, and so generally you're going to have a normal, occasional, private fast. But there is no command or instruction about a length of time or how often we should be fasting. And we don't want to make it something that is legalistic. We should look to fasting the same way we look to prayer and the same way we look to giving as an opportunity, uh, a privilege to seek God and to seek his grace. And we should do it as often as we desire, as long as your desire is ne not never. If your desire is never, then you're wrong. Um, because it says, when you fast, right? But that other side of fasting wasn't just giving up something. It has to have a spiritual purpose. And so that piece of paper that you got from your small group leaders that has all those blanks on it. These are the 10 different purposes of fasting that Donald Whitney gives. And I went ahead and made it into a paper for you because I didn't want you to be frantically trying to fill in, like write down these, because this is, I think is really the heart of, of what we want to think about. When we think about fasting, it has to have a spiritual purpose. But there are 10 different ones, right? It's not just we're going to go buy a building to expand our ministry and so we need to fast. There's 10 different ways, 10 different purposes that you can, you can fast. And so the first one is to strengthen prayer. To strengthen prayer. It give, helps to give passion to our prayer requests. And time. Yeah, fasting does not change God's mind. If it is outside of God's will, he's not going to do it. Remember last week's lesson, right? God's going to make it happen if it's in his will. But it is going to strengthen our passion and our prayers. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah both had fasts to strengthen their prayers, to give, to give them more passion for their prayers. The second is to seek God's guidance. It gives you a focused opportunity to discern the will of God. It does not guarantee that you will receive the crystal clear flashing neon sign of what God wants from you, but it will make you more receptive to God's leading. 
examples for this are in Judges 20 and in Acts 14, verse 23. Um, so s seeking God's guidance. The third one is to express grief. First um, Samuel 31 that, that Pastor Jonathan preached on and, and when Pastor Matt preaches this Sunday on 2 Samuel chapter 1, you're, you're going to see, or you did see, that people fasted after the deaths of Saul and Jonathan because they were mourning. But it can also be a grief over our sins, a time of confession. Um, it doesn't make you more worthy of forgiveness, but it is a means of communicating the depth of your feelings. The fourth, one, fourth purpose is to seek deliverance or protection. This was Esther, right? She was asking for, for protection when she went to the king. It is one of the most common types of fasting in the Bible. And that tells us that it should be our first line of defense. If you're facing something, Go to the Lord with prayer and fasting. It, it's going to, it is not going to change anything for God. It is going to change you. And so if you are seeking God, it's going to make you more receptive to what he is trying to share with you. If you are seeking uh, a deliverance, it is going to strengthen you as you go in into what, face whatever. It is, you are going to feel less anxious because you have spent a focused time knowing and trusting that God is going to do, um, or he's going to act in some way. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't change God's mind, but it changes us. And that's the, um, that's why we do it, right? The fifth purpose is to express repentance and the return to God. This was Nineveh in the book of Jonah. It is similar to um, that purpose of grief over our sin, but this one, it's repentance and returning to God, and so it signals a commitment to obedience. It's, it symbolizes a new direction. Uh, it, it is a change of heart, not just a grief. Sixth is to humble oneself before God. It is a physical expression of humility. It is, it is like kneeling or bowing down. You are, you are showing God that he is great. You are showing God that he is worthy of praise. You are showing God that you understand that you are low and he is high. Uh, an example of this is in 1 Kings 21, 27 through 29. The seventh one is to express concern for the work of God. 
This is Nehemiah when he's about to return to Jerusalem without walls. Or Daniel when he's considering the restoration of, of Jerusalem. They are, they are concerned for God's work. Um, eighth is to minister to the needs of others. This is out of concern for others. A couple of different ways this can be used. Instead of eating a meal, you're giving the money you would have spent on that meal to something. Or you're taking the time that you would have spent either eating or preparing or whatever with that meal and you are counseling with someone, you are encouraging someone, you are doing for someone else. You are ministering to the needs of others with the physical time or cost or whatever of not eating. Um, this is like when we did Never Thirst last year in the, in the church. It was, what can you give up to give money to this project? What can you do to give, to give money? Um, whether you knew it or not, that was, that was a form of fasting for the need of others. Uh, Isaiah 58, 6 through 7 gives an example of that, or gives us a biblical example of that. Ninth, to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. This is Matthew 4, when Jesus was preparing for the temptation by Satan. But this is when you are struggling or you are anticipating a struggle with a certain sin and you need extra strength to overcome it. But it can also be if you have become overly attached to something, I can't make it through my day without checking on all my Facebook friends, for example. When you become overly attached to something like social media, like television, and you need to step away from it. That is overcoming temptation to dedicate yourself to God. Now you have to take that time that you would have spent scrolling through Facebook or, or sitting in front of the TV or whatever it is, and you're praying about dedicating yourself to God. You're reading the Bible during that time. You're doing, right, it's not just I'm going to give up sugar and I'm going to say it's for God because sugar is a big temptation for me. That's not the, that's not getting that spiritual purpose. It's overcoming temptation and dedicating yourself to God. And then finally, number 10, to express love and worship to God. This is the story of Anna in Luke 2, 37. It is an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. It's when seeking Him is more important than anything else in your life. Those are those ten purposes. You can find one of those ten purposes in order to fast. They are all manageable things you can do. So the key for any fast is that your thoughts of food must prompt you to thoughts for God. 
And so as we see from Esther, we see that from her request for the Jews to hold a fast on her behalf, that she has a genuine faith in God. She showed that she needed the support of others and she recognized the need for God's intervention. And Mordecai was satisfied with Esther's decision and instructions and he went and he did it. Next week, we'll start to see what happens. Although we don't get to the final result for a few more weeks, but we'll start to see what happens. So as you go to your small groups, remember that you are to fast and that when you fast, it needs a spiritual purpose. And we will go to small groups.